that. If you're not already there, please turn to Job chapter 23. Job chapter 23, as we'll be looking specifically at verses 8 through 12, and uh, some of the rest of the chapter as well. Obviously, Job dealt with a great problem in his life, great problems. And of any year that uh, Americans and people around the world have dealt with problems, uh, in my short, well, longer lifetime, uh, 2020 stands out as a year in which people have dealt with real problems. And oftentimes, when, uh, when people face problems, they face problems because they ask the wrong questions. Uh, I remember I once had a, a coworker who had just set up a new wireless keyboard for his computer, and after getting it all unwrapped and get the plastic off and had it all set up on his computer, or on his desk, um, was asking what was wrong with the keyboard because it was not working. It was new, why wouldn't it work? He was asking what was wrong with this wireless, this brand new wireless keyboard, not realizing that his wireless keyboard required batteries to work. I also had another coworker who had a a desktop computer at his desk, Um, also was working on a laptop, went to grab his mouse, and uh, using that mouse, he's moving it all around, clicking, could not figure out why the cursor was not moving on his laptop. He was asking what was wrong with this mouse on his, you know, for, on, on his, his computer. Um, not realizing that the, the mouse belonged to the desktop, not the laptop. So he was asking, again, the wrong, he was wrong, ask, uh, asking the wrong question. Both men had uh, what we've termed as a, a picnic, a problem in chair, not in the computer. Uh, you might have heard that before. But both men were asking the wrong questions about their problem. And the problem that you may be facing today, or really Christians around the world, uh, may be much more uh, significant than a problem with a computer. In fact, um, many people around the world are dealing with the problem of having uh, not their normal income, of having real uncertainty in their job, whether it's the in, related to their income or their job responsibilities or what that might entail. And uh, many of us in our church family have dealt with a, um, a loved one who is very sick or has passed away recently. But when we ask the wrong questions in our problems, we can find ourselves despondent, uh, frustrated, even angry at times when, when struggling and not finding the answer as to um, what you know, that we're looking for. And tonight we're looking at a man with whom many of us are familiar and we can relate to in, in Job's life. And if you look at the beginning of uh, the book of Job in chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, it talks about who Job was as a man. Uh, verse 1, it says, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. And there were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He had a big family. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and very many servants. So that this man was the greatest of all of the people of the East. 
We see here Job was a, a righteous man. He was a man who feared God. He was blessed by God so much so that his testimony, he was well known throughout the whole region of the, of the world that God's blessing was upon him. However, the day comes when all that seems to come to an end. Because we see in chapter 1 that he loses almost everything. His seven sons, his three daughters, uh, most of his servants, his livestock, pretty much everything but his health he lost in chapter 1. And then we see in chapter 2 where he, he loses that as well. And, and just like many of us, when, when faced with, with uh, problems in our life, uh, major struggles, the kind that keep us up at night, the kind of problems that may cause us to cry during the day, he doesn't understand why he's in this predicament. Uh, chapter 2, we see in verses 11 through 13 that his so-called friends come. And uh, he is as low as it gets. In fact, it tells us in chapter 2 that from a, a long distance away, they couldn't even tell that it was Job as they were approaching him because his appearance was so different. It says in verse 11 of chapter 2, Now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that had come upon him, they, they came each from his own place, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite. They made an appointment together to come to show him sympathy and comfort him, much like your friends today would come to do. And when they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him. They, they raised their voices and wept. They tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads toward heaven. And they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights. And no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was very great. And so some of this mourning was cultural. That's, this is what was, would be done when, when you're in terrible, great distress. Uh, they mourned, his friends came, they, they mourned with him, they cried, they, they tore their clothes, they, they sprinkled dust on their heads, and they sat with him for seven days, saying nothing. They could not figure out the why behind what was happening in his life. I don't know if, I don't know if you've been there. Uh, in terrible pain, whether because of your personal loss or perhaps the loss experienced by someone that you love. You have questions for God. Because it's one thing to go through the pain and suffering involved in, say, getting treatment for cancer, where you know that the, and understand the purpose behind the pain and the suffering of the treatment that you go through as you deal with all the chemo and all that um, distress from, from, from chemotherapy and all that. Um, but it's quite another to go through the incredible suffering when you don't understand the purpose behind it. And so Job has a lot of questions, but no answers. And we, if you read through chapters 3 through 23, it, it records his conversations and his arguments with his friends. And we see that his friends weren't really good friends at all. They don't really help him. They, they give him bad advice. They, in fact, they point him away from God. And Job is given no reason for hope from them. But we see in, in chapter 23... God want, or Job rather, wants to get God into the courtroom. Notice all the courtroom references, uh, language references here in chapter 23. We see in verse 2 he says, Today also my complaint is bitter. Using that, that uh, courtroom language of a complaint. Verse 3 he says, Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come even closer to his seat 
Referring to his seat, the, the judgment seat. Verse 4, I would lay my case out before him and fill my mouth with arguments. Verses 5 through 7, I would know that he would answer me and understand what he would say to me. Would he contend with me in the greatness of his power? No. He would pay attention to me. There an upright man could argue with him, and I would be acquitted forever by my judge. He says, at least I could hear a response from God and know what the charges are against me. I could reason with the judge, I could talk with him, and be delivered from this painful judgment of not knowing the why behind my suffering. At last, he would know the why. So we see Job is in incredible pain, terrible pain. And it's one thing to suffer for a short period of time, but another thing to endure suffering for an extended period of time. He is suffering the loss of all of his children, his servants, his possessions, which were great, and his health. And in his mind and the minds of his friends, pain and suffering was not connected with righteous people like him. And his thinking, pain and suffering was for the wicked people, right? Those who don't know God, those who don't serve God, the disobedient ones, the the wicked people who despise God, that's who should be suffering in this world. And so Job doesn't understand why he, as a righteous man who was blameless and blessed by God so much before, why was he suffering? I don't know many people who have been there, perhaps a loved one who passed away unexpectedly or, or a personal illness or difficulties with a job. And, and Job was there too, looking for God and he can't find God in his problems. And so we see in verses 8 and 9, It says, Behold, I go forward, but he is not there. And backward, but I do not perceive him. On the left hand, when he is working, but I do not behold him. He turns to the right hand, and I do not see him. But if you note and underline the three, I do not. He says, I I don't perceive him, I don't behold him, I don't see him. And draw a line, if you you write in your Bible, from verses 8 and 9, and those three, I don't from verses 11 through 12. And note the contrast in Job's language in verses 11 and 12, where he writes, My foot was, has held fast to his steps. I have kept his way and have not turned aside. I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. And notice the three I haves that Job had done. And what we want to learn tonight is how, how, how did Job get from verses 8 and 9, where he's saying, I don't see God, I don't see God, I look here and I don't see God, to verses 11 and 12, where he's in a place of certainty before God, where he has confidence and comfort and stability in what he is doing and his standing before God. Because the, the truth is, many people, when hurting, find themselves over here like Job in verse 3 saying, all that I might find him. They're asking, where, where is God? And just like, just like Job, people don't doubt that God is around. Uh, people don't, aren't, and like Job, is, are not doubting God's omnipresence or his transcendence in the world, but rather they're looking for his imminence. What people are looking for in God's presence is evidence that he is nearby, that he's, that he's right here, ready to do something about their problem. 
They're not doubting God's love for them, but they, they want to see evidence of his love manifested and that God is, is doing something for them. So they're not asking, where is God in the universe, but where is God in my life? But we see that this is the wrong focus. Struggling, struggling with where God is, what he is doing, why he isn't doing more for me, this focus leaves us unstable and uncertain and doubting and unable to stay strong in the midst of great trials. Notice again in verses 8 and 9 where we find him in searching for God. He says, Behold, I go forward, he's not there, and backward, but I do not perceive him. On the left hand where he is working, I do not behold him. He turns to the right hand, but I don't see him. We normally use north as our reference point when we're we're looking at a, a map and giving directions, but eastern geographers would use East as their reference point. So he, he points uh, east to where the sun rises and, and he says, you know, I look forward to the east, I look backward to the west, I look left to the north, right to the south. And Job is saying, I've searched everywhere, north, south, east, west, and there is no evidence of God anywhere in my life. I don't perceive him, I don't behold him, I don't see him. I am suffering and I don't see God. And unfortunately, Job is doing what comes quite naturally to us when we're in our pain, isn't he? When we're going through pain that we don't understand, the most natural thing is for us to focus on us. Our pain, our suffering, our wants and desires. Job is thinking about what God ought to be doing for him. He's asking, why is God doing this to me. But an amazing transformation occurs in Job before verses 11 and 12. And so how does he get from verses 8 and 9 where he says, I, I don't see him, I'm looking everywhere and I don't see him, to verses 11 and 12 where he says, I, I have, I have this, I'm doing this. And that answer is found in verse 10, which reads, but he knows the way that I take, and when he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. He's obviously giving the, the reference to almost a smelting process of where, a refining process of where gold is going through the refining fire and the dross is being taken away so that gold is refined and, and purified. And he says, but, and he uses that strong word of contrast showing a change in his focus. And he changes from verses 8 and 9 where he wants, where he tells us what he wants from God in verses 8 and 9 to verse 10 where he tells us what he knows about God and what his responsibility is before God. And what Job does at this point is what enables him to go from being the victim to being the victor in his struggle. Job changes the focus from what God should be doing for him to how he should be living for God. From God's responsibilities to his responsibilities. He says in verse 10, he knows the way that I take. He know, he, Job realizes that God has an intimate knowledge of the way of my life, how I live in public, how I live in secret. God knows it all. There's no secrets from God about who I am and how I live. And when he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. When God, He says, when God scrutinizes my life in the courtroom trial, my life will be shown itself to be pure gold. Job was confident that because of his faithfulness to God, his life would show itself to be 
gold. He would come forth as, you might say, a 24-karat Christian. 24-karat Christians are those who remain committed to, to God and obedient to Him and His Word no matter what they're going through. And so we look at what follows in verses 11 and 12. He says, My foot has held fast to his steps. I have kept his way and have not turned aside. I I haven't departed from the commandment of his lips. I've treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. And so notice the change in, in language. Notice the change in focus. The center of the universe changed from Job to to God. Instead of looking at God's responsibility before him, he's now looking at his responsibility before God. You might say, if, you're, if you have classroom experience, that uh, he was giving himself a spiritual report card. And he checked on the, you know, following in, in God's steps, got an A+. Plus. He does a good job not getting distracted and pulled off the way of uh, if you're looking at uh, getting a grade on obeying God's word, he gave himself an A+. He noticed that he didn't just listen to God's words, but they were valuable to him. And Job confirms what he has stated earlier about his life and testimony. He, he lived his life for God, and, and that would be proven when his life was put to the test. And so Job believed that since he had done nothing wrong in his life, his, his trial was not a result of God's discipline in his life. But rather, his life, when tested, would be a trophy of God's glory. So whether or not we can be a trophy in God's glory cabinet is dependent upon what or who we are focusing on. I once read an article about two couples who, who went through incredible, tragic loss that I wouldn't wish on anyone. Uh, the first couple was uh, named Bill and Adrian. They were parents of a six-year-old a three-year-old and a 16-month-old. And they were in the process of uh, the husband getting, being gone at an appointment. The mother was helping take care of their th- three- and six-year-old. They were trying to finish the house under construction, getting ready for a party. The grandparents were going to come over and, and take the, the, uh, the children to watch them for them. So the grandfather had loaded up the SUV with the three- and six-year-old and most of their things and was backing down the driveway to get closer to where they're going and felt a bump, thinking that he must have ran over a piece of lumber or something. He went outside to find out that he had run over the 16-month-old baby. Uh, both the grandmothers thought each other had the baby. Uh, the second couple I read about was Rachel and David. Uh, they were parents also of a six-year-old and uh, a two-and-a-half-year-old uh, girl. And after breakfast, uh, one October morning, the father went out to get something out of storage from the garage. Uh, he needed to back up the SUV to get to it, and, and when backing up, he accidentally ran over his two-and-a-half-year-old daughter. Tragic, awful circumstances that both couples went through. Uh, both couples claimed that they turned to their faith in God to help them through. Both couples sought counseling uh, both couples did things in their local communities to increase the awareness of such tragedies and accidents. Um, the first couple I read had had another child and they were doing well. Uh, the second couple, however, the, uh, the husband in his grief was unable to work. Um, started taking medication to cope with uh, emo- the emotions, fell into terrible debt, 
Uh, they lost their house. Uh, they tried to even to sue the vehicle manufacturer because of the accident. They ended up separated and the wife had filed for divorce and uh, they're going through a very, very difficult time. Two couples, very similar tragedies, but what makes perhaps one of the main differences in how they handle and deal with their pain and suffering? I think with, with Job's life, we can see that it's focus. Uh, and, and we can see that if we focus on ourselves and what we want, we will ask, how can I escape this problem, this trial, instead of how can I endure this problem? Uh, we'll ask, what will I do instead of what can I learn? What does this mean for me instead of what does this mean for ministry? Uh, but the important question to ask is not do I know where God is, but rather does God know where I am? I don't have to remind you that we serve a great big God who never changes. He's constant in his love. He's completely righteous and in his care for us. He has, he has a perfect plan for everyone, including us in our lives. And we shouldn't worry about what he will do for us in our pain, but rather what we need to do to be able to honor him during our pain. And please don't believe the lives that, that say that suffering is always bad and has no purpose. We see throughout the Bible that that's not true, that God uses suffering for great, to accomplish great purposes in our lives. Uh, don't believe the, um, the lie that suffering is a sign of God's displeasure with us, because that's not true. That's not, it could possibly be the, the case sometimes, but that's not always the case. Please don't believe the lie that suffering means that God has left us alone, because that's not true. If you read the rest of the book of Job, you'll see that uh, it, what is called, I'm sorry, Job's so-called friends and, and what his wife even told him. And sometimes in the case of, as in the case of Job, God allows or puts pain and suffering in our lives to test us uh, so that we might be testimonies of his glory for him. And when he, when he does this in our lives, we need to be able to ask our questions, our, ourselves the question, are we going to pass the test? Um, when we wake up in the hospital one day, when, when our job is affected, when a loved one's life is affected, when everyone around you sees your pain and suffering and tells you to forget God, if we're going to be a 24-carat Christian for God, there's some questions that we will reveal how prepared we are for that test. We can ask, am I more concerned about my feelings or about my feet, how I'm walking before God? Am I more concerned that God knows my way or that I know his way? Am I more concerned that he has departed from me or that I have departed from him? Am I more concerned that he hears my words or that I hear his words and treasure them? Am I more concerned that he holds fast to me or that I hold fast to him? Am I more concerned about knowing his comfort or with keeping his commandments? When going through suffering, will you pass that test? Now, we shouldn't have to debate about whether God is, is being fair in our lives. We know who God is. We shouldn't have to debate about if he's doing what he should be doing or if he, he loves us and cares enough about us. In the Bible, we know the truth about and the answer to those questions. 
we need to be concerned with what we need to be doing. Am I staying close to God? Am I treasuring His words? Have we kept God's way and, and not turned aside? And like Job, when he made that transition in his problem, we need to be able to keep our focus on God and living faithfully before him, knowing that he will always be faithful to us. Let's pray and ask, and ask God to help us do just that. Father, we are thankful for the example of Job. Seeing someone whose life was completely righteous before you and right, and seeing him go through suffering, knowing that it wasn't because it was judgment upon him, but rather you were putting him to the test so that he might be a shining example of, of a child of yours that loves you and lives for you, even when all the things that he loved and cared for, the comforts, were taken away from him when he went through incredible pain, incredible suffering, that you allowed him to be a shining example of, of what it means to love you and live righteously before you. Lord, we know that in, in this year, particularly right now, there are many people, not only uh, locally, but around our nation, around the world, that are suffering. They're going through great trials and difficulties. And we ask for your help as believers that we might be able to stand strong, that as we go through the difficulties that you bring into our lives and allow us to go through, that we might be great examples, like Job, of people who live faithfully before you, that, that trust you, that honor you, that keep your commandments in the midst of great pain and suffering, that as a result, we might bring you the honor and glory that you deserve. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless.